up. For the pattern, Allen taking off. Can he get there? Stiff arm to get there. First down. He took Nick Scott. And he's telling him about it too. Third and goal. Allen keeps it. Pumps. Runs. Breaks the plane. Touchdown, Buffalo. Josh Allen took care of it himself. Woo. And that's Bobby Wagner. That's a six-time first-team All-Pro. Third and four. Allen stepping up. And now pulling it downfield and digs it behind the secondary. Stumbles, but brings it in. Buffalo touchdown. And there's only a handful of quarterbacks that can flick it like that, that far. Buffalo with a statement on opening night. The first game of 272 in the 2022 NFL regular season is in the books and the Buffalo Bills. My goodness, despite the high expectations, Super Bowl favorite, even though they haven't been there in 29 years, they went back to the site of the last Super Bowl and they stuck it to the defending Super Bowl champions, 31 to 10. And I will say this before I say good morning to Peter King, it could have been and arguably should have been a lot worse. Good morning, Peter. Mike, I was just thinking that before, you know, while you were rolling those, imagine if they don't, if, if, if Isaiah McKenzie doesn't hand an interception away in the first quarter, you know, there's, or in the first half, whenever that was that, there was so much about that game that's so interesting, but I'll settle on two quick things. One is that, you know, Josh Allen picked up precisely where he left off at the end of last season. I mean, he is an absolute force. And, you know, he hinted to me in training camp this year that he wasn't going to be as, as ready to take off and run. Well, you know, I'm sorry. It's just part of his game. He's just like Lamar Jackson. You just can't take that away from him. It, it is what makes him so incredibly good. And the second thing is that pass rush, uh, you, you could say what's, what was more significant, the fact that the pass rush was ridiculously good for Buffalo or the fact that uh, the Rams protected terribly. And I think it's probably a combination, but I would go more with that Buffalo pass rush is going to be trouble. And the thing about week one, you never know how good the team is that beat you. You never know how bad the team is that you beat. We don't know what the flaws and strengths really are of both teams because you need to play several games and see how they do against other teams and see how the other teams do. And then you figure it all out once you get into October and right at the point where you think you've figured it all out, you realize you don't know a damn thing, which is kind of how it goes, which makes it fun. It makes it fun as a fan. It makes it very stressful as somebody who is expected to know or at least have a reasonable idea of what's going to happen because we never really do know. And I thought the Rams would be better last night. I thought they, they would. And I, I, I give them credit for hanging in there and taking some punches early from the Bills and tying it up at 10. But I don't know what Sean McDermott, said or did at halftime because and maybe it was the Ozzy Osbourne bump I don't know but whatever <laughs> it was the Rams stayed in the ha- in the locker room 
and the Bills came out and ran roughshod over them, and it was just done. Once they and, – and, again, this may be the Bills' defense or it may be Matthew Stafford's elbow. But once the Rams dug a hole in the second half, it was like they couldn't do anything. They couldn't get the ball anywhere beyond 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. The chances of getting the ball down the field in big chunks hinged on Cooper Cup breaking a tackle, which he did maybe once in the second half, and running for an extra 20 yards. They were never going to come back because it was all old-school West Coast offense sustained drives. The Bills were taking away everything deep, and I don't know the Rams could have gotten deep. It just felt like a suffocation in the second half. Mike, you know, the other thing that, just was so incredibly obvious about the domination in this game and the difference between these two teams is that it was always second and nine for the Rams and it was always second and three for the, for the bills. That's, that's what this game really a lot of this game came down to the Rams were putrid in the running game. And that is going to be a big problem. If you can't hold up, if you can't protect well, and you're running for whatever it was, 2.9 yards a carry, if you're running for 2.9 yards a carry, that means your quarterback is going to have to be, is going to have to carry the load the entire way. And look, Matthew Stafford, we know about Matthew Stafford. He is a very, very good player, and he played great down the stretch of last year. But here's the issue, okay? No quarterback can always have it be second and nine with a leaky offensive line. If it is, it's an absolute recipe for disaster. Well, and you're right. And we expected more between Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. There never really seemed to be a sustained commitment to the run. And if you aren't getting in more manageable situations for second or third down for that matter, it does become easier for that pass rush of the Buffalo Bills to get through that leaky offensive line. And you know, at one point last night, Chris Collinsworth said, hey, maybe the Bills are creating a blueprint for other teams to shut down the Rams. Well, if you can borrow Von Miller every week, then maybe that will yeah. help. We need to see how that offensive line does against a lesser pass rush. But Von Miller, we got to give him the credit that he deserves and the bills for getting him the rams knew what they had in von miller they had him long enough through the playoff run last year through the super bowl last year they either couldn't or wouldn't pay what it took to keep von miller the bills making the kind of aggressive move that a super bowl champion needs to be willing to make you need to be willing to get one wrong in order to get one really right and so far, long season, I know, we're not going to overreact. That's become the cliche. Saying everybody overreacts has become the cliche to the overreaction. There are still 16 regular season games to go for the Bills. But holy crap, you know, free agent, new arrival, right out of the gates. Von Miller is as dominant as he ever was. I remember he spoke to you a couple of years ago when he was closing in on 100 sacks. And he was on a trajectory that reasonably would have allowed him to challenge the all-time record. And and he kind of fell off a little bit. He had injuries. And, you know, in Denver, it, it ended in a 
weird sort of a haze. And it, not not that he had huge numbers last year, but he had pretty good numbers with the Rams. He, he could be in a, a second act now, Peter, where he starts pumping up those sack numbers again and we start having the conversation again about whether or not he can catch Bruce Smith, I believe it is, near 200-ish with the all-time record. I mean, I think he's about 80 behind or whatever he is. I forget how many, but I, I doubt, or 70, I forget. But I doubt he can do that. But I think one of the stories of last night, Mike, is, first of all, Von Miller's presence, I think, helped make it possible for all these guys. You remember, like, in the last three years, the Bills have always been drafting these pass rushers high. A.J. Epinesa, Gregory Russo, Boogie Basham. And, you know, really, they've, they've had a few moments. Okay, but last night, you could see what happens when Brandon Bean's the GM of the, of the Bills. When his plan gets all put together along with one premier edge guy in Von Miller, And what happened is last night, those four guys, the four-person pass rush, you know, between those four players, got 5.5 sacks, nine additional pressures, an interception, and were just, they controlled the game. So when you look at it and you try to figure out, okay, you know, everybody says, well, what about this blueprint? Well, do you have four pass rushers? Exactly. You know, that's that's part of it. Do you have Von Miller to make those other guys so much better? And so that, to me, was one of the parts of this game that, you know, we can dissect a lot of things about this game. But I said, when I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl, I said one of the things that really impressed me is the roster depth. They have depth everywhere on that roster. They showed it at corner last night they showed it on the edges last night they certainly showed it in stuffing the run and in making every pass drop uncomfortable for Matthew Stafford Von Miller now at 117 and a half and it is 200 to Bruce uh, Smith so long way to go for Von Miller but the bigger reality is he's on a team that is poised to be very good this year we're reminded from time to time usually in the Super Bowl of the value of having a great pass rush. That is the difference maker. We saw it with Aaron Donald last year getting to Joe Burrow just in time because Jamar Chase was wide open and the Bengals could have won the game. And we saw what Aaron Donald did when he rose up at different moments of the game to change the momentum back toward the Rams. And when you have an offense, Peter, that is going to get it done the way the Bills do, you get to the point in the game sooner where you flip the switch and let those pass rushers get after the quarterback because they have to throw the ball. They have to do something to try to get back in the game. Let's hear a little bit from Vaughn Miller as to how he prepared to face his most recent former team, the LA Rams. I went through every scenario that I possibly could. And when I woke up this morning, you know, I I was ready to go. I went and had breakfast. Um, You know, I trusted my preparation. I did everything I could possibly do to have success in this game. And um, today was fun. You know, I didn't feel like, uh, you know, I had anything to worry about. You know, I already thought about the things that could possibly happen on the field. It was a great reception from, you know, from everybody, uh, you know, over there at the Rams side, from the fans and everybody. It was great, man, being here in SoFi, man. This is, this is how you want it to go. 
I thought it was funny earlier this week when he said he didn't know what kind of reception he would get, Peter, at SoFi Stadium. And my reaction was, well, all those Bills fans that cram into the place would be very happy to see him. <laughs> I, I, I never got a clear sense of what the percentage was, but a lot of Bills fans are going to be at every game on the road, especially SoFi Stadium where the Rams still have a hard time getting their fans to come out. But wherever the Bills go this year, they're going to have Bills Mafia everywhere and anywhere because this already has that feeling that vibe of a special season a lot of questions were answered last night for a team that was carrying that mantle of expectation and on the offensive side Ken Dorsey never been a coordinator before what's he going to do well as as Dick Vermeil said last month at his Hall of Fame enshrinement speech I became a lot smarter coach when I got Marshall Falk Ken Dorsey becomes a lot smarter coordinator when he's got Josh Allen doing what he did last night The thing about the change in coordinators is that, you know, Ken Dorsey, who has played the game and, you know, who played the game, obviously, at a, at a high level in college and who had several cups of coffee in the NFL, I think that really makes a quarterback a lot more comfortable when the guy who is, who is helping you prepare for games and calling plays for games has been in your shoes. And, you know, it's funny. There aren't a lot of coordinators right now, Mike. You know, we talk, we've talked about this. Why don't more really good quarterbacks become coaches? Well, because they've got $150 million in the bank, and they don't want to go to work at 4.30 in the morning. You know, <laughs> but, but really, Ken Dorsey is a great example. You know, like, there are managers in baseball who they say all the time, like, Joe Girardi, and, and I mean, I could think of 20 more, but the backup catchers or like the catchers who have been in position to call games and to feel baseball games for a long period of time, it's just like the backup quarterback. Like of all these, these, these quarterbacks I've gotten to know over the years, I would love it if, for instance, Chase Daniel really... Uh, gave coaching a good shot. I mean, he has been with so many teams and so many good play callers and, and quarterbacks and Drew Brees and Sean Payton. But, but anyway, my overriding point is that Ken Dorsey has been there. He has played this game. He understands what is going through Josh Allen's head. Brian, Dorsey, Brian Dayball was great at it, obviously. You know, he's a great tutor of the position. But I do think there's something about having a guy who's, who's been in your shoes before calling those plays and making those decisions. And it wasn't easy start to finish. It wasn't that Ken Dorsey was able to go on autopilot and just sit back and watch the offense because that first half was frustrating because – there was a sense kind of a weird that they half. left points on the field. And to be tied 10-10 to 10 when you were the better team through 30 minutes, they had to make some adjustments at halftime. That's where Ken Dorsey is involved in working directly with Josh Allen and the offense to make the adjustments necessary to do what they did. After the defense did its job, stopped the Rams early, forced them to punt, touchdown by the Bills, another touchdown by the Bills. And when it got to 24-10, that's when I felt like the Rams weren't going to be able to erase that margin here's Josh Allen talking about the second half adjustments that the Bills made to turn 10 to 10 into 31 to 10 
I actually was happy at halftime. Three turnovers and going in 10 to 10, 0 0, you know, that, that gave us all the confidence in the world, our defense being able to back us up. And, you know, we hurt ourselves a lot in that first half. There's a lot to learn from. Um, you know, but that second half, that's, that's who we want to be, you know, going out there and executing the way, you know, we, we expect ourselves to execute. Um, I thought Coach Dorsey, you know, called a heck of a game. It's his first live, you know, action. Um, so I'm proud of him for, for handling the situations how we did. But, again, we were 90% on third down. Like, that's, that's a recipe for success. And, again, four turnovers, that's way too many. Um, so we, we've got a lot to clean up. But like Vaughn said, we'll celebrate this one. It's hard to win in this league, especially against good teams, and that's a really good team we just played. Allen completed 26-31 passes for 297 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, 56 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown, four total TDs. And he set the Bills' regular season completion percentage record for a single game at 83 0.9% career-high 10 straight completions to start the game. And that's the right attitude. You can go into halftime saying, it's just not our night. My God, we, we gave him the best punches we had and we're tied. Uh-oh, this isn't going to go our way. His attitude was, we're doing everything we want to do. And we had all these turnovers and it's 0-0. Let's just keep doing what we do and, and we're going to handle this. And that's exactly what they did. You know, the other thing about Josh Allen that you knew, I really like guys who he knows that all of the pressure, all of the focus is going to be on him, okay? And and look at his last three games that he's played, Mike, okay? His last three games, he basically has put up the he played the best game arguably that a quarterback ever played against Bill Belichick okay in 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 you know in that divisional game last year or in the wild card game last year then in Kansas City he has another monster game uh and and obviously were it not for uh, the overtime rules who knows who wins that game and then Last night, he turns it over four times, still puts up 31 points, completes 83%, and it should have been 86% because of the Isaiah McKenzie. It was right in his hands, and he handed it, you know, away for an interception. But be that as it may, that what this tells me about Josh Allen is not only does he not mind the big stage, he welcomes the big stage. He is better on the big stage than he is in all of these other uh, games that he's going to play. And that's an excellent point. And yeah, there's going to be a lot giveaway of big, exciting games. Yeah, and and uh, th- that that was an example of the ultimate announcer's jinx because they were going on and on about how he had completed all of his passes, and then boom, there's the pickoff, and and then there was another one, but. He, he shrugs it off. That's the key. You don't get so caught up in a mistake that it it paralyzes you or it it deflates right. you. You 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 find the positive in what's going on and you just keep going. And it helps when you can run the ball and it helps when you're willing to run the ball. There is a risk inherent to that. And in past years, I feel like the Bills have been more careful about him running the ball until they get to a single elimination setting. This year, who knows? But 10 carries for 56 yards. Peter, you mentioned earlier that that uh, the Bills were maybe going to restrain that a little bit. 
again, he could get injured, but he's also pretty good at it. Here he is talking about the stiff arm that he applied to convert a key third down in the second half. They're down, just trying to make a play for the team, just doing what I can do to, to try to get first down. That's it. Um, you know, guys appreciate that. You know, I, I, I play hard. I want to win, win games no matter how I can do it. Um, that's just, a, I guess, an example of, you know, what I'm willing to do to, to, to win a game and, and just try to get a first down and allow us to keep moving the ball. So, um, you know, it's just all in the heat of the moment. And, you know, I think guys appreciate that. Here's the risk of doing this in 2022, Peter. The officials are more aware and I think willing than ever to treat the quarterback who runs the ball like the running back and to afford no protection whatsoever. It's something defensive players have been complaining about for years, that the officials are quick with the flags, that the officials protect the quarterbacks who run too much. And my understanding is that ends this year, that you run the ball, you're a running back. So if that's going to be a big part of the game plan week in and week out, maybe it was just a big game week one thing. Maybe next week, Monday night against the Titans, we won't see it. I don't know. But quarterbacks who run this year, in theory, are going to be treated like running backs, as they always should have been treated. We'll see if that matches up. We'll see if there's a special cocoon in which Josh Allen is regarded but but that that heightens the risk of running the ball into traffic as much as he did last night Mike can I tell you one thing that I thought was a huge play in this game that I don't think anybody is going to talk about except me the numbskull but I thought that late in the third quarter when it's still very much a game. I think it's 17 to 10 at the time. And the Bills get the ball at their own 11. They're pinned back. And they get a false start. So now it's first and 15 at the 6. Okay, so it is totally set up for the Rams to have a uh, sort of a game-changing series here. If you hold the Bills three and out and get them to punt from, say, the 12-yard line, all right? Now, you're going to take over at your own 45, let's say, and now you have a chance in a fairly short field to get back in this game. What happened on first down? On first down, Josh Allen broke contain, got out of the pocket, ran for eight yards. Now it's second and seven, So you know what happens then? Then a running play, the next play that gains eight yards. All of a sudden, how demoralizing must it have been if you're Raheem Morris on that sideline? This is the turning point of the game. The the, the Rams have got to be euphoric about this. And in two plays, two eight-yard runs, in my opinion, that was the capper that lost the game. And again... If you go down and realize what happened, this became that touchdown drive that Josh Allen, you know, uh, basically stretched the ball over the goal line when he plowed into um, uh, whoever it was at the goal line. And that, to me, was the biggest point of this game in the second half because it showed 
that the Bills could do whatever they want whenever they wanted. And and that's what created the sense that the Rams just aren't going to be able to erase this deficit because even if they drive down and score, right. how are you going to stop the Bills? Yeah, hey, maybe you may get a touchdown, but the Bills are moving at will, and that defense of the Rams was not able to slow them down at all. Here's Sean McVay, who had never lost a Week 1 game, whose team had never been, or I guess... I need to think of the right conjugation because it happened as of last night. They're under 500. Before last night, never under 500, ever, in 81 regular season games. Last night, regular season game 82, for the first time, the Rams are under 500, under Sean McVay. Here he is talking about his team not being ready for what the Bills threw at them last night. You know, when you look at a lot of the ways that this game unfolded, I uh, feel a huge sense of responsibility to this team. We weren't ready to go. Um, I take a lot of uh, you know pride in that, and that's on me. I got to do better. There was a lot of decisions that I made that I felt like didn't put our players in good enough spots. So it was a humbling experience, but we're going to stay connected. We're going to all look inward. We're going to do a better job moving forward. But you give credit to the Bills, and then we've got to understand that we've got to have that mindset and mentality to be able to move forward accordingly. But um, you know, I do take a lot of responsibility in this. It was a very humbling night, but one that, uh, you know, hey, you got to be able to uh, look yourself in the mirror, say, I got to be better within the framework of my role. That's exactly what I'm going to do. That's what I know our coaches are going to do. That's what our players are going to do. And we're going to stay together and we're looking forward to our next opportunity to be resilient and, and respond. You know, th- this hasn't been the first setback that I've, that we've experienced, and we're going to respond the right way. I do trust that, and all I know how to do is look at this film, correct it, put together a good week of preparation, and be ready to go against the Falcons next week. But um, there's, n- there's no way to put it other than, you know, didn't do a good enough job. It starts with me, and then we can overall execute better in a lot of areas. Spoken like a man who just had his new contract extension announced yesterday. You're not going to be in any real scrutiny if you take all the blame for the loss that happens that night. But he's right. Week one, all sorts of crazy stuff happens. It doesn't define the season. The Bills lost at home week one to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Tennessee Titans lost 38-13 to to the Cardinals at home week one last year. And they ended up the number one seed in a conference that is much tougher than the NFC. So you learn from it. You build on it. You grow. The question is, are there fundamental flaws with this team? We won't know until we see the Rams play more teams. They have the Falcons coming to town in nine days. If the Falcons do to the Rams what the Bills did, then maybe it's time to start breaking glass in event of emergency. But it's a long season. You can't freak out over one game. And you just you just keep going. It's, it's all the right cliches that we hear all the time from coaches. But it's the right attitude. You can't freak out after one game. Hey, Mike, in, uh, in 2003, the New England Patriots lost to the Buffalo Bills 31 to nothing on opening day in Orchard Park. And in week 17, the final game of the season that year, the Patriots beat Buffalo 31 to nothing in Foxborough and went on to win the Super Bowl. So there are loads of examples about how good teams can come back after a nightmare in week one. And it's pretty big nightmare when you force four turnovers and lose by 21 at home after you raise the championship banner in your stadium. And by the way, after occasionally the Rams have to do a silent snap count because there's so many fans of the other team in the stadium. So 
there's a lot, an awful lot that went on in that game that to me would be discouraging if I were the Rams. But that's the great thing about it. You've got the long weekend now. I'm sure the players will have most, if not all, of this weekend off. And you get to a race, you know, a terrible taste and a terrible game, and you get to have a favorable opponent come in in week two to try to make things right. So I don't think in any way that the Rams ought to think, oh, it's over. It's not over. It's just, it's a, it's just a really bad first game. And it is rare that the defending champion has to suffer an indignity like that at home to start the season. Since the NFL began with the Thursday night opener 20 years ago, when the defending champ is playing at home to start the year, that champion had been 14-2 and two before last night, now 14-3, and three, obviously. But the Bills' mafia takeover, a factor in what occurred. Here's Matthew Stafford, quarterback of the Rams, talking about the things they had to do to deal with, yet again, crowd noise in their own building. Uh, no, I mean, uh, we prepared for it. We prepared to be on, you know, the silent count um, at home again, but um, it wasn't, uh, you know, something that we haven't done before. No, it's not, and it's probably not something that they will uh, stop doing because when there's a big game... Look, this is what happens when you vacate a market for 20 years. You're going to have thousands of fans of every team in Los Angeles. So when that team comes to town, they want to go see that team play. It's that simple. And look, regardless of that, you're going to have Bills fans, but L.A. had no NFL teams for 20 years. You've got fans of every team in L.A., and they go to those buildings when that building when the Chargers or the Rams play and that's just something the Rams have to deal with and uh, it's it, it made their Super Bowl victory even more impressive that they were able to do it without a true home field advantage even though they had home field for the Super Bowl but you know Peter w- one of the big topics of training camp in the preseason the Matthew Stafford elbow injury there wasn't a lot of talk about it last night and again as I said earlier I don't know whether they weren't throwing the ball down the field because of the elbow or because of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, who were keeping everything in front of the, the, the them and the secondary. We'll, we'll see next week and the week after how that elbow holds up, but that continues to be a question mark because, number one, Matthew Stafford threw the ball a lot last night. That elbow may be sore today. And number two, maybe we saw all those short-to-intermediate throws because they really didn't want to open it up and have him fire it 30, 40, 50 yards down the field. Mike, the really noticeable thing last night was, and, you know, when I visited the Rams in camp, they were all in on Allen Robinson. And they felt like this was going to be the antidote to putting too much attention on Cooper Cup. And I remember leaving the Rams and just having this feeling and I wrote about it, I, I said it, you know, in, in a number of occasions that, you know, to me, I think Allen Robinson is going to be a great, not good, but a great fantasy player this year because I think he's going to have over 100 targets and blah, 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 blah. But last night, Allen Robinson had two targets, including one in garbage time right at the end on the last series. So, you know, that's something that McVeigh has to go back and look at. He's smart enough to figure out a way 
that even if that, even if the safeties are playing deep and taking away those kinds of throws that Matthew Stafford loves to make, I, I think it is, it's a little bit reactionary right now to start saying, woo, Matthew Stafford's arm. Matthew Stafford had a clean pocket maybe three times all night last night. He was under relentless pressure. That was the problem last night, not his elbow. And, and to me, Sean McVay has to sit down and he's got to say, okay, I've got to figure out some other ways that when we get frustrated like that with Allen Robinson, how can we get him in position to make plays and to be a really good alternative to Cooper Cup? You mentioned the running game. That's going to be one of the keys to taking the steam out of a pass rush. 52 rushing yards for the Rams last night. As we previously mentioned, Josh Allen had 56. So he outrushed the Rams' entire team all by himself. Cam Akers... Fully healed after last year's torn Achilles. He came back for the regular season finale and played pretty well in the postseason, given that he had missed almost all of the regular season. He had three carries for zero rushing yards last night. That is not going to make it any easier for Matthew Stafford to have time to set up and throw. He did find Cooper Cup 13 times for 128 yards, so much for teams taking him away. MDS pointed out a great stat earlier this morning, though, on Twitter. Stafford throwing to Cup, 8.5 yards per pass, 87% completion percentage, and a touchdown. Matthew Stafford throwing to all other receivers, 4.3 yards per pass, 62% completion percentage, zero touchdowns. So, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that maybe the plan for Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier would be let's come up with a way to take away Cooper Cup and force Matthew Stafford to go elsewhere. They found a way to say, let him throw to, let him throw to Cup because what we can we'll deal with that we just won't let him go anywhere else or when he tries to go anywhere else it's not going to work they, they have to develop something else running game and or Allen robinson a third receiver that's reliable there's some possibilities there from ben squaronic to tutu atwell they've got some intriguing skill sets that they can use to complement cup and robinson and then there's the looming possibility of obj at some point who was at the game last night, on the sideline before the game, part of the trophy and banner raising. But it, it just feels like they got to diversify that offense, Peter. It can't just be Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. The numbers for Cup will be phenomenal again, but it makes it harder to win games. Look, I think it was very obvious, you know, at least to me, that the role that Odell Beckham Jr. played in the pregame festivities, the fact that he's got a locker, as Jordan Rodrigue of The Athletic uh, reported, that he's got a locker at their facility waiting for him with his nameplate on it. It would be a pretty big upset if Beckham didn't re-sign with the Rams. But we're talking about Thanksgiving-ish. You know, so they have to fix this problem they can't wait for Odell Beckham to come in riding on his white horse. They got to fix this problem before then. And, you know, I heard from somebody last night whose opinion I always respect about how brazen and blatant the Rams are being with this flirtation with OBJ. He's basically an unofficial member of the team. He's a 54th guy on the roster from the locker to the presence last night to just this overwhelming vibe that 
it's a matter of time before he officially joins the team. But my reaction to that is any of the other 31 teams want to make him an offer that he won't refuse, they could they could sign him. He's a free agent. He can do whatever he wants at this right. point. And that's the one risk the Rams take in playing the long game with OBJ. And this is the hidden benefit that he has. What what if what if the Rams keep losing? He joked earlier this week he'll sign with whoever wins last night. Well, if I'm picking between the two teams last night for my de- next destination and my goal is to win another Super Bowl, I'm taking the Bills. And maybe by Thanksgiving-ish, Peter, there'll be another team that Odo Beckham Jr. looks at and says, that's, that's where I need to go if I want to try to get another Super Bowl ring. Thanks for the memories, Rams, but my destiny is calling elsewhere. That's the risk they're taking by not Could getting very well signed. Be. Full flexibility to go anywhere he wants. Could very well be. And here's the way I kind of look at it, Mike. So if you're Odell, the one thing that is obvious from people who know him, he wants to play in Los Angeles. You know, I, I think it is entirely possible, okay, I think what is so interesting about this, I think it's entirely possible that while his long-term home is with the Rams, you know, if the Rams are 5-8 and eight by the time he's ready to play, and that it would be before then. But, I mean, if they're struggling by the time he's nearly ready to play, would it surprise you a lot if Odell Beckham Jr. signed with Team X that has a little bit of cap room and is near the top just for a contract till the end of the season. And then he'd be free again in March, able to sign wherever he wanted to. So he he could actually view this as like a two month road trip somewhere, you know, from, you know, the middle of November till maybe three months till the middle of February, he would hope. But I, I think it's clear that there is a bond between the Rams and Beckham, but I don't think it is obvious that he's going to sign there. And, you know, Peter, I'll say this. Next Friday at this time, the Chargers could be 2-0 and or 1-1 and or 0-2. They're in L.A. We don't know yep. how they're going to be. They got Justin Herbert. Good God, if you're Odo Beckham Jr. And... And if you want some favorable matchups, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams may help you get favorable matchups if if he would join the Chargers. But there, there's another team in that same stadium that he could sign with at some point if they navigate the first few months of the season in a way that creates the impression they're going to be a contender. The problem with the AFC, it's too many contenders. I don't care what the Bills did last night. you still got the Chiefs. You've still got... Great teams, the Bengals, who are being completely overlooked for some reason. You've got other teams that could rise up and be really good, like the Chargers, like the Raiders, like the Broncos, like the Steelers, like the Ravens. And uh, it, it may benefit him to let some of the season go by before he makes that pick. Like you said, sign through the end of the season. And if he can get to a team that plays deep into the postseason, he plays well like he was doing before that ACL went. You walk into free agency and you're a guy that gets signed day one and you get a huge contract on the open market because he can still play at a high level. His teammates love him and the game is more exciting when he is 
part of it. We still have plenty more to come here on this Friday edition of PFT Live. I do want to say something, though. We haven't even identified the show today. That's what happens when we're excited and football is back and we get into it. We do have a very loyal and passionate following in the U.K., and I do want to extend my condolences to all of the folks who engage with us, who enjoy the show. I know that they're hurting following the passing of Queen Elizabeth II after an historic reign. I heard from a lot of our folks over there, and and we can't relate to it because we don't have royalty, but for everyone in the U.K., it is as if a family member died. A nation feels that simultaneously, and we feel it uh, for our friends there and uh, our condolences to the royal family. And uh, we will be back with more PFT Live right after this.